There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Help us move from awareness to action. This week is Patrick McWhorter, the president of Lead for Change, an organization inspiring leaders to change the world and challenging organizations and community leaders to make positive change in the world. Patrick, we are excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us. I'm thrilled to be with you. So Centauri sounds like he's in a noisy place with music in the background, but at least it was good music. What is that, Sultan's a Swing, Centauri? I am not sure what it is. It's whatever's playing at the Henry. No. <laughs> I should have known he'd be unable to answer that question. But Patrick, you, sir, uh, have had an exciting and, and interesting career. Tell us a little bit about how you found yourself at Lead for Change. Well, I started out in my career um, always involved in community service of some kind. I went to Arizona State University. Um, I'm originally from the Midwest, but I graduated a Sun Devil and um, political science undergrad and then public administration degree. And I was looking for, you know, either government work or work in the community and I uh, eventually gravitated toward the nonprofit sector. To be honest with you, I'm not sure when I was in college, I could have told you what a nonprofit was or if I knew what one was, but <laughs> somehow that that was the place that always seemed to call to me. So that's where I've spent most of my career, though. I've been done some stints in government. Uh, I was a lobbyist also, although for, for nonprofits, and, uh, and uh, a little bit of for-profit experience. But for the last 15 years, I have worked in, in this field in, in the nonprofit world we call capacity building, so helping nonprofits be you know, better and stronger at what they do. And um, I, my sort of what I'm most known for was founding and uh, building the Alliance of Arizona Nonprofits. I did that for 10 years and then left three years ago out to go out on my own um, and Lead for Change is, is the firm where I, um, where I hang my hat to do my work with nonprofits. Excellent. So I'm I'm curious what the process was like for founding the alliance here in Arizona. Is there was there a national entity that that you reached out to and said, hey, we'd like to start an Arizona chapter or what what did that look like? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, there was and there wasn't. So it was a group of nonprofit leaders, uh, nonprofit consultants, uh, some people with foundations that started gathering in about 2000, 2001 and uh, knew that um, nonprofits needed help uh, here in Arizona. And uh, that could that could lead to the formation of any of a number of things. So we, we began searching nationally for what models existed in other states. And there was an organization at the time, uh, well, there still is, but they, they had a different name at the time. But anyway, it's called the National Council of Nonprofits. And they were essentially the national organization to which statewide associations belonged. At that time, if I remember right, there were about 37 states that had an association. So we were one of 13 without one. Now, we didn't necessarily, in our initial research, um, you know, zero in on doing an association. We've looked at other approaches and models because there are some other capacity building kinds of organizations around the country. But ultimately, 
this group uh, narrowed in on the, on the formation of the association. So, in fact, I was on the incorporating board when we launched. And as a matter of fact, uh, 14 years ago this week, uh, we incorporated the alliance. And wow. it um, was a group of five of us that were on the board. And um, we actually had a CEO right out of the box who we had, we had um, luckily inherited from uh, – he had merged himself out of a job. He was a nonprofit CEO and merged with another one. He, he was looking for something he was available. And about six months after we started, he was recruited by the private sector. He's still there. It was a great job. And so the board turned to me and the other board members turned to me and said, we'd like you to leave where you are now, which was a different nonprofit capacity building organization, and, and get this one off the ground. And, and off I went. Spent 10 years doing it. Nice. Patrick, I'm, I'm curious. In those 10 years, because uh, you and I interacted a lot during that time, what would you say was like the busy, biggest change that happened from when you started the alliance to when your tenure came to an end? Well, of course, one of the uh, I, uh, signature achievements, I feel, of my tenure there was that we survived the recession. So, you know, we launched it, obviously, in 2004, 2005. Um, when I started in 2005, I wouldn't take the position until I had secured some seed money, some pretty significant seed money to help us be sure that we were going to successfully launch this. Uh, I had done that once before, and I knew how important that would be. And so uh, Arizona Community Foundation was the largest of the three major funders. And we had basically three years of funding, although I ended up stretching that a bit. So uh, fast forward, if you will, uh, that money ran out in 2008, 2009. <laughs> right. Things were rough in 2008, 2009. Right. Uh, and yet somehow we were able to wean ourselves from that seed money to um, grow our membership. We continued to be for several years running the fastest growing state association anywhere in the country wow. uh, and build it into the thousand member organization that it is today. And so, I mean, the, the biggest change is that we had to find revenue models that would sustain us that didn't rely upon, you know, three large uh, initial funders. And uh, that was a challenge. There were some, there were some tough days and, and months there, but uh, ultimately we did that. And when I left, you know, my goal when I formed, when I took the position and as I, as I started out was that I wanted to build the organization to the point that the day I walked out the door, I knew it was going to survive, you know, for the foreseeable future. And I've been gone for three and a half years and they're still doing really well. In fact, I'm going to their conference later this week, and the conference I've heard is nearly sold out, and they're doing really well. Well, evidence that, they, that you did your job, and, and the organization's thriving, so congratulations. Thank you. Which leads perfectly into our next question, which is three over three, so and it's, 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 I guess, it, it's nice that you've been away from the organization for, I think you said, three and a half or so years. So what are the three biggest things that you would say that you've learned over those past three years? Well, one uh, one thing that I, uh, you know, I was proud of what I did, as I just described, but um, know how challenging it is. As I've worked with other organizations, I see this often a challenge. And that is when you're a leader of an organization, I think it's your responsibility to uh, what the, the term I always used was to institutionalize. Uh, now, many often nonprofit leaders feel like they should be institutionalized, but that's not what I mean. Um, so uh, the idea is um, to to really work at um, you know putting the infrastructure in place, uh, having succession plans in place, having uh, you know really a programmatic foundation 
that doesn't need you. Um, and, and very often nonprofits, and this is true of any small business, honestly, uh, is, is, is centers around the founder, centers around the leader. Uh, many people will literally consider the two names synonymous, you know, the name of the organization, the name of the leader. And your job is to really, I think, get an organization to the point where, um, you know, it, it doesn't need, need that leader. Uh, you can never get away from the attachment of the leader to an organization. That's not all bad, but you know that it can't be completely reliant upon you. And so one of the things I've learned in working with the organization since then is my doing that, which seemed like a natural thing to do, is not that common. <laughs> and there are too many organizations out there that are really, uh, I think, uh, d- dependent too much on you know, whether it's a personality or whatever you, however you want to describe what the cult of the founder or the leader is. Um, it's not healthy for the organization. A second thing that I've really been um, reflecting upon with my own experience at the Alliance and other nonprofits before, but also observing with organizations I've been working with, is that our, our model, if you will, and not that there's only one, but our approach to how our governing boards work, um, the boards of directors of nonprofits, uh, I think is deeply flawed. Um, I think when it works, it's almost by accident. Uh, it's by maybe luck of the right people to just somehow find a formula, but most nonprofits really struggle making that work. And, and there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. It goes wrong in different ways. Um, but at the heart of it, uh, there is, there's, there are high expectations in sort of best practices of nonprofits for what, what boards are supposed to do, how they're supposed to operate. And I think it's it's rare that you find an organization that really is doing that well. That seems deeply third, cynical. Well, you know, I I consider it real, you know, realistic. Um, I you know I wish it were better. Uh, so I, but I really I'm not blaming board members. I think it's important to distinguish between um, you know I'm calling out the model. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, I don't I don't even know if most organizations would consider themselves to have a model that they thought through but the, uh, and there are actually more than one models but but i think at the heart of the models that we're using um are are some broken assumptions or 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 you know ineffective practices so i you know the people are are doing their best they they come in not not knowing this necessarily people join boards for all kinds of reasons and and so uh, that's why i say i mean there are cases i'm not suggesting there isn't a good board out there 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 are those, but I think they almost happen across it by accident than by any any method that they're using that you could replicate. So I, I that, you know, that's something it's something I've I had observed and thought about before I left the alliance. But it's grown. I think it's one of the more significant issues we're facing in the nonprofit sector today that that I'm not sure we're acknowledging uh, quite well enough. And I guess the third thing I would say I learned, you know, ten years in one position. I don't know, I guess maybe that's rare for younger generations today. Um, uh, It's the only time I've been in a position for 10 years, so it was unusual for me as well. But it was quite a transition uh, going into, uh, you know, new kinds of work. Uh, I I did it partially for that reason. I mean, I I left the Alliance because I I felt, you know, I felt it was on solid ground. And it's always good to leave when things are good. You don't want to leave when things are troubled. So I knew I was leaving when things were healthy. And also because I had reached an age, uh, I crossed a, one of those, you know, milestones and said, you know, I still want to know that I'm young enough that I can take these risks. Um, 
You know, that said, uh, the world is changing rapidly. I don't feel like I'm changing as rapidly with it as, as I like. So I'm still learning how to be um, an adaptable change agent at this age in my life. And, uh, uh, and that, you know, I, I, so you say what I have learned. I don't know if I've figured out learning that, but I'm working on it. But I, it's, it's created a new adventure for this time in my life that I'm enjoying. And so, uh, so I embrace that uh, challenge every day. Well, that's excellent. I really appreciate you sharing those thoughts with us. And I I have had a similar experience working with a lot of small businesses that, that are in the for-profit uh, sector. And a lot of the time it is a, a cult of personality and the leader of the organization is is what drives it from top to bottom. Um, so I think, I think that that's pretty interesting. And it certainly does sound like from an investing standpoint that you bought low and sold high, which means you started the organization from scratch and then, you know, you, 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 you left it when it was doing really, really well and you left it in good hands. So I very much appreciate that. So I think uh, I want to jump ahead to our innovation uh, question because you were sort of touching on that. And it's true that, that I, I imagine that uh, I'm, maybe a little bit younger than you are. And I know that Centauri's considerably younger than both of us. Um, and he's, I don't know how he's doing with innovation, but uh, it, it, it is moving quickly and it does demand that, that, that we stay on top of it. So um, how are you seeing your work impacted by innovation and just what are your thoughts on, on it in general? It's funny you asked that today is this weekend. I was, I'm, I'm reading a book by Thomas Friedman. I think he just wrote it last year uh, called uh, Thank You for Being Late. And it's all about the uh, pace of change and the impact of technology um, economically, socially, politically, and so forth. And so I was just reading about how learning and the skills we need in work are affected by all of these trends. And um, and and you know, I mean, part of part of what he was writing about is the fact that you know we we don't go to school and get a degree and then that serves us for our entire career. I mean, those days are gone. I mean, the time is here where you know, it, I mean, lifelong learning is is yeah an understatement, if you will. I mean, it's it's almost day to day, month to month learning, and and um, and it you know it's really changing the nature of work, the nature of jobs. Um, and, uh, and certainly how we prepare for them. And so as I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, I think that's where I, um, I, you know, I try to, uh, before I started the Alliance, the organization I ran was called Empower Arizona. We provided technology services to nonprofits. We were a nonprofit and we served other nonprofits. So that was the first capacity building thing I worked on. And at the time, I was considered the, the technology guru <laughs> in the nonprofit nice. world in Arizona. I always laughed even then. I said, look, I hire people who are the real technologists. I know how to talk about it. <laughs> I know how to run the organization. I don't necessarily, I, you know, but of course, they always wanted me to, you know, fix the, you know, the projector or the, you know, the computer would put the PowerPoint <laughs> right. on the screen or something. I'm like, I, I know better than you, but I'll give my best shot. But, but anyway, my point is, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I did have, I, or what I thought then was at least a pretty current knowledge about what kinds of technology tools can make you as efficient and effective as possible. And I still try to do that, but it's hard to keep up. So I, I, I mean, some of the things even I was reading about in this book, you know, in this book, of course, is, like I said, it was published last year. So 
I imagine even these things are, they're probably old hat to, to somebody and I'm just reading about them. Um, you know, to keep up with all of the, uh, the technologies that are making it possible to do more, to do things faster, to do things you couldn't even do before. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's where any organization, any leader needs to be in that space, need to be paying attention to that. And, um, you know, so that's the challenge that I find is just keeping up with all that and knowing, knowing what those, um, what those tools are, because if you can't move at the pace of those tools, somebody else will, you'd be left behind. So I, I think that's at the heart of innovation. It's, it's having a, a mindset of learning and adapting and looking for new things. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, they, they come so fast that, I mean, it seems like you don't have to look for them, but you kind of do because they come kind of go so fast to, to stay up, up with them. And, and uh, it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge for anybody, but particularly for, you know, leaders like me who have been around a little longer and remember the days when it didn't move so fast. Appreciate that. So tell us about Lead for Change. Tell us about what you guys are working on, what the mission and vision is. So our vision is leaders who are making the change in the world that they want to see happen. And that could be a leader of any kind of company or organization. Uh, the work that I do is to focus on uh, individuals as leaders. So I do leadership development, uh, coaching. Um, I, I really try to help a leader find what is their sweet spot and where they can make uh, their greatest contribution as a leader. Many people are thrust into a position of leadership. I don't necessarily know how to be a leader. You can actually be a leader even if you're not in an officially titled leadership position, but uh, many who are in that position need help with that. I also work with the leadership level that um, nonprofit, and I mostly work with nonprofits. So as I said, I could do this for any kind of company, but I work with um, you know the boards of organizations. I just talked earlier about the challenges there. That's one of the reasons why I see that is that uh, I work with the executive, but also with their boards uh, whenever possible. Uh, I also do interim executive uh, leadership. So, in fact, I'm currently in a new uh, gig with the Cosanti Foundation, uh, which runs Arcosanti in uh, north of Phoenix. And that is, uh, that is one of the services that I've been honing in on this year. I've done um, a couple of interim uh, assignments and hoping, hoping to do more. Excellent. Patrick, with Leading for, leading for Change, I want to get um, a little bit more about kind of the, the kind of person and then ultimately what they end up becoming going through that. Well, the, the leader who I work with? Uh, uh, is that what you mean, the leader? The, the leaders that I work with? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay, sure. Well, I, you know, a couple of things. One, um, you know, I, every, leadership is a, I think, a set of, approaches and skills and a mindset, but which can work for people who have all different kinds of approaches and styles. So sometimes in, uh, I think the public eye or, you know, the sort of uh, common wisdom, conventional wisdom about leadership uh, paints a particular picture or paradigm of what a lead, how a leader should act, you know, uh, very gregarious, very bold, very, you know, courageous, you know, whatever, you know, probably all kinds of verbs uh, or uh, adjectives you could use. Um, but leadership really comes in all shapes and sizes, and it, it really depends upon the type of team and, and or organization that you're leading and, and what that needs. So one of the things I do, I use some tools that help a leader find their own style and what works in their own context and, and um, you know, make the most out of that. 
Now, you know, as I said, underlying that, I think, are a set of maybe I'll call universal uh, principles that I think are important to leadership. For example, I, I ascribe to ser- uh, servant leadership uh, approach. Um, you know, my my own view and, and belief about the way leaders should show up uh, with their with the people who they lead is that um, they are there to serve the people uh, in their team. They are uh, what I always like to say is uh, a leader. Um, a leader can be a visionary. That was my approach. That also is not necessarily always the case. Depends on the situation, but that was my approach. So my job was to paint a vision, paint a picture, and for everybody, make sure that everybody's got that picture. And then to ask everybody, what do you need in order to make that picture happen? Uh, and if there's anything they need, you know, resources, skills, connections, whatever it is, it's my job to find that for them and then say, okay, now you run with it and then get out of the way. You know, let people shine, let people be, uh, bring their, their best selves to the effort. Uh, and my favorite uh, moments as a leader, as an organizational leader, were when you would, you know, you'd, you'd reach a milestone or you'd be at the end of an event or, you know, whatever the project was, it had a major uh, accomplishment. And you'd look at it and you'd say, that was absolutely amazing. That was even better than I thought it could be. And really, you had almost nothing to do with it except for painting that initial vision of how great you wanted it to be. But the team got it done and then giving them all the credit for doing it. That, to me, is servant leadership. And, you know, in each own uh, leader's style and approach, um, I, you know, I, I help them find their way to, to doing that. Well, it's such a powerful thing to be able to, to give somebody the tools to be successful and and to then empower them to actually do it. And there's a, a term that I love that Napoleon Hill coined, said, give somebody a great reputation to live up to. And you tell somebody that, or show somebody how to do it and then tell them that you believe in them and then you watch them do it. And that is without question, one of the most rewarding things that I've ever experienced. So I certainly appreciate what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I just think that, uh, you know, uh, so much of what, we do, you know, we have organizations, teams, again, you can lead at many different levels, but, and we have goals, you know, things that we're trying to accomplish and those goals are important. And, you know, in the, in the nonprofit world, there, there are goals that have to do with how you make the world a better place in the for-profit world there, you know, about being successful financially. But ultimately I think the most rewarding work we all do, no matter where we work is helping people find their, their, their best selves and do their best work. And, uh, feel a sense of accomplishment and and enjoy that with them together. I think we're social creatures and we enjoy celebrating those things together and knowing that you help someone, you know, go uh, farther than maybe they would have done without the encouragement. I mean, yeah, there's nothing more rewarding than that. And I'm sure that we can all point to an experience in our lives when somebody did that for us. So, so I appreciate that. Well, excellent. Well, Patrick, knowing that the entire world would hear it, what plea would you make to them? I would like people to think about how uh, we live in communities and their, uh, you know, their life is, uh, it has meaning if they um, find a connection to that community and make it, uh, you know, help build it and make it stronger and, um, and we do that in all kinds of ways. Some of us work in nonprofits, and that is literally our day job, as it were. Others do it in um, 
connection to the place they work. Um, others do it only through, you know, whether it's volunteering or through somehow in their family, what have you. But, you know, I, I think at a time like now when there is so much division around us, uh, we all need to be, you know, reminding ourselves that we only get to go on this journey with a bunch of other people around us. And that's in our neighborhood, in our uh, cities and towns, in our, in our states, in our nation, and even in our world. And, and it's, the journey is worth it when you, when you make a commitment to working with everyone else to leave it better than you found it. And that would be my appeal to, to everyone is find that path. I think that that's so on the money and so important. And from my perspective on things, community is one of the things that we're missing so uh, so greatly or so badly these days. So, so I think that that's excellent. Patrick, I think it's – I'm always impressed with how – how much you care about the community and how much you've devoted your life and your career to really enriching the community, especially um, the Arizona community. So thank you. Thank you for that service. Well, thank you very much. And uh, to you as well. Thank you for doing this, uh, this program and, and the things you're all working on um, to try to inspire others in, in the same way. So uh, I look forward to uh, working together on this journey out there in the community. I love it. Patrick, how, how can people engage with you? How can they get involved? They can find me. They they can find me at leadforchangenow.com, and that is uh, you know that is uh, my business website. And um, you can find my uh, email there. Uh, fill out a contact form, and I would love to connect with you. Excellent, Centauri. Have we forgotten to talk about anything? No, that was great. Again, Patrick, thanks for sharing your wisdom and for giving us that uh, that kind of look at. I, I didn't know that about the start of the Alliance for Arizona Nonprofit, so that was great to get that history and background. So, um, thank you again. Well, thank you for having me on the program. It's been a great pleasure. Excellent, and thanks as always for listening. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.